I'm really excited about this morning because I know Julie and I know her heart and I hope she doesn't mind me saying, but she is just an ordinary girl who's living out what God has been speaking into your life and we love her and we're excited of what she has to say. So um, do you want me to do the video? Okay, so we've got a video first and then Julie's going to come up and speak to us. So can we run the video? Thank you. I'm Ryan and I'm going to be 14 soon. First time I was taken into care, I was two. I don't remember much, but there was a photo of me at the beach eating ice cream. I look happy. I went back to mum for a few years, but she got a boyfriend. I had to leave after my teacher saw the bruises. I lived with a few different families, and when I was 10, they decided I probably couldn't go back to my mum because of the boyfriend. I live with Ross and Helen now, and they say I can stay with them forever. I still get to see my mum sometimes. I love Sam. When I'm angry, we go for a run together. Every child's story is different, but sadly for most of the children waiting to be fostered or adopted in the UK, 
Too many of their stories include some pretty terrible things that no child should have had to see or endure. Over 70% of the children waiting have experienced neglect or abuse. And we think with your help, these children's stories could be different. We're not promising you Anna Green Gables or Despicable Me, just neat, happy endings, but we do believe with your help, their stories will be better. For some of us, that's gonna involve stepping up to foster or adopt them. But for all of us, it could involve helping to make these children's lives better. What is it that you are willing to do to help? Um, so this morning we're going to be looking at Adoption Sunday and there's going to be um, a few things that we're going to take from it. Oh, one thing is um, how we as a church and individuals can help um, the need around, but also looking at us um, who are Christians here this morning and our spiritual adoption. Um, whenever I was 15, i done my Silver Duke of Ed and i done DCSEPE, so I'd done it a year before everybody else. And so we kind of set off the mountains and um, John Marshall isn't here, so I can blame him. He got us lost because he couldn't read the map. And so what around us, the mountains and the map that was in front of us were not correlating. So we kept on trying to find um, where we could go or what we could do until we quickly realized that we were completely lost here. We didn't know what to do. So I said, look, let's go for a road and then we can maybe stop someone and ask. So we got a road, we stopped someone and asked and he said, we said, this is where we need to go. And he said, don't worry. He said, it's just down the end of the of this road here. And we were like, oh, I'm brilliant. Happy days. We're not too bad. And he was like, but the road is 70 miles long. Um, he thought he was hilarious. As a 15-year-old, absolutely soaking in Duke of Ed, it wasn't funny. Um, but we carried on down the road until recently, we, until we saw um, the vision of my PE teacher, I will never forget, Miss Keith, hanging out the side of the van, waving and calling our names. Um, we were rescued, we were going, this is it. And there was that moment of going, oh, we're fine. And then that moment of being a 15-year-old going, oh, but we're scundered, <laughs> we didn't know what to do. Um, but he, and she came, she rescued us, and it turns out we had been dropped off the wrong side of the mountain. Um, so she put us into the van, 15 minutes later, dropped us round to the, to the right side and led us on our way again. Off we were to find our camp for the evening and to make our savoury chicken flavoured rice. Um, but what really struck me was that in that moment, whenever we were absolutely drenched, we were absolutely soaked, we were thinking, we are lost, what are we going to do? This is a nightmare. But the reality was we weren't really that, we weren't really that lost. Because if we were, they would have had to send um, some sort of mountaineer. They would have had to find Brad Moore's number and send him up the mountain to try and rescue us. Or they would have had to find um, some sort of helicopter or something to find us if we were that lost. We weren't really that lost. But you see, I was so lost in my sin and I was so lost in my guilt and my shame and in my darkness that Jesus that God had to send Jesus to die on the cross to rescue me because I was so lost. And this morning, I just want to take some time and have a look at one of the first noted adopted um, characters of the Bible, which is Moses, and just take a few points as what it meant for him to be adopted into God's family. 
Chris Kandaya, who is the, the head of Home for Good, said that every Christian story is a story of adoption and the story of a home for good with God. See, God had this master plan. God knew that I was going to mess up. God knew that I was going to be filled with sin and I was going to have selfish ambitions. God knew all this. And he also then knew that I would need it rescued. He also then knew that I would need it adopted. And the theme of adopted runs the whole way throughout the Bible. In John 14, verse 18, it says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. The word adoption actually means chosen. God chose, God pursued. God didn't leave us in our helpless state, but he pursued us. He wanted us to be a part of his family. This was his master plan from the right from the beginning of the earth. He knew this. And it says in Ephesians 1 verse 5, Even before he made the world, God loved us, chose us in Christ to be holy without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do and this is what gave him great pleasure. He doesn't need us for some strange reason. He wants us. He longs for our attention. He longs to be with us. He pursues us. So we're going to look at the story of Moses. And see, not only was Moses at that time, we had, um, there was a decree put out by Pharaoh. Um, if you cast your mind back to the Prince of Egypt, there was a, a decree put out um, from Pharaoh to say that all Hebrew boys, all Hebrew children would be killed. And there he was found in a basket. And Miriam and four others, uh, the Pharaoh's daughter, decided they were going to adopt him. They were going to bring him. They were going to raise him, take him into his home and raise him as his own. He was rescued. Moses should have been killed, but he was rescued and he was taken from the bulrushes to the palace. But not only was Moses rescued, he was rescued to help rescue. You know, it is no coincidence that God chose Moses, the one adopted one, to be the one to lead his nation, his chosen nation of Israel into freedom. It is no coincidence that God used Moses in his rescued state to help rescue God's chosen nation of Israel who once was in slavery to bring them to freedom. And so what he did was God gave him a commission. In your rescued state, in your freedom, I want you to do something about this. And it says, so I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians to lead them out into Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. Moses was chosen, he was pursued, and he was rescued, and he wanted to bring that freedom to the others around him. So from us today as Christians, living in our state of being rescued, who is it that God is placing on your heart that he wants to help rescue? Living in your freedom, who does God want to use you to help free? Is it the brokenness? Is it hurting women around you? Is it those in the workplace? Who is it that God has been placing on your heart that he wants to use you with? I follow I'm a lady on Instagram who's a bit of an inspiration to me. And she is a full-time foster mum. And she has three of her own children. At any given time, she can have seven children in her home. Um, and she just does that as an ongoing basis. And this is just part of her life. She just takes children in. She takes them from babies right up to whatever age. And this is a post she put on Instagram. And, and it's of her 
this is her daughter speaking, and her daughter said this. This girl with golden locks and bare feet, the contagious giggles and the stress-free grin, a perfect picture of what childhood should be. Her biggest worry in life is what's for lunch. She may be lucky, loved, blessed and free, but she is not naive. The pains of this world are very real to her. The cries of the hurting pierce her heart. Her eyes are filled with tears when there is injustice. We've got nine phone calls from different foster kids this week, and she's tried to figure out a way that we could take all nine in our three-bedroom house. She's willing to give up her room, our attention, her freedom at the drop of a hat, all because, well, Mum, they need it, and Jesus sacrificed this to us. She gets it. How inspiring is that? What is it that God is wanting to use us and our freedom to do to bring the freedom to others? And with that, can, with that can come a lot of doubts and come a lot of fears, as would happen with Moses. Whenever God rescued Moses, he appointed him, and he also had the fears. Moses had fears that came with that. And it says, Moses hides his face from God and continually questions his calling. Who am I to go to Pharaoh and bring the, Israel, bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Suppose I go, what is it I should tell them? What if they don't listen to me or what if they don't believe me? Even after God has promised to be with him and given the miraculous signs, Moses continues to make the excuses. I don't have eloquent speech and I am slow of tongue. How true of that is us? As Christians, what is it that makes us doubt that we belong to God's family? There, there are things that make us doubt our position as children of God. Is it our own insecurities? Is it our need to perform? Is it the opinions of others? Is it fear? Is it that feeling of unworthy of love? Or is it guilt? I know for me, one of the things was the need to perform. I didn't feel that I was worthy enough. Um, I didn't feel like I was good enough and that I somehow needed to perform. And what I did was I overcompensated this in my life and presented these servant duties to God in an act to please him. Like he was some sort of master that required this of me. That he was some sort of master who showed a fickle love and it was dependent on how good I served, whether or not he would choose to love me. That in some way, my performance would bring about my acceptance in him. I unknowingly began to water this seed and in doing so, think that I could bring these full array of unselfish acts to God in order to please him. I therefore thought that I could somehow, these acts that I had would be able to add to what Jesus has done on the cross and therefore been foolishly beginning to believe that I would somehow contribute to my rescue, to me being able to be adopted into the family of God. I saw God and my view of God became quite skewed and what I need to realize that as a child of God that he is a father who loves not a, not a master to please that he loves me in Zephaniah three seventeen, it says he takes a great delight in who I am not what I've done not what I can accomplish not the acts of service that I can do but just in who I am he is a father who loves he is not a master that we need to please God doesn't want me to clean the table. He actually wants me to sit with it and be with him at the table, to delight in him, to take pleasure in his company. Do you know whenever my nephews and nieces are out the back playing their penalty shootout and they come at the back door absolutely muck from head to toe, they're never once are they told, go away, clean yourself up, make sure you're completely 
completely spick and span before you enter this house. It's come in, let's clean you up. Okay, fair enough, the front door or the living room door, maybe shut and don't go in there. But, you know, apart from that, it's come in. You're always welcome. For children of God, for us, we are always welcome. The door is always opened. And it says in Romans, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba Father. Not for his spirit joins with ours to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are his heirs of God's glory. And we're able to share in this glory. And the word in Romans 8 verse 15, and that word Abba, Father, it's actually in the Hebrew, it's one of the highest and most um, prestigious names given to God in the New Testament. And it translates as Daddy to show that sign of intimacy of the Father, to show that sign that we have full access to this Father. And so what was it I was pondering that made me, um, what was it, why did Paul decide to use this illustration of adoption whenever he was speaking to the Roman times, um, whenever he was speaking to the Romans? And so I began to look at, well, what did the adoption process look like for the Romans back then? Why was this metaphor used? And you see, if a Roman citizen um, can't have a child and maybe wants a son so that his name can carry on, his name can be taken, the first place that he would go to would be the slaves in his house. He has a slave family, and they would be the first people that he would go to. And he would go to the father and he would say, can I buy your son? Will you sell me your son? Which may seem completely ludicrous and it may seem really cold and may seem really hard. And you'd be going, why on earth would someone sell their son to, to someone else? Well, if he did this, it would mean three things. It would mean he would be a free man. He would be a slave no more. He would inherit the entire estate. And all the adopted previous debts would therefore be cancelled. He would be given a new name and he would be under the new father's authority. What a perfect illustration for what Jesus has done for us. And so what may seem like a heartless act to sell your son is actually an ultimate act of kindness and an ultimate act to, in order to pursue and to reach us. What a perfect imagery that we have there of how God is able to sell Jesus to death on a cross so that we can be slaves no more, so that we can live in his freedom, so that we can inherit our name as being a child of God, and that so we can live with his inheritance, his internal promise of being with him for now and forevermore. They go to court and they sell the boy three times, and he is declared legally no longer a slave, but a, a son into the family. He now sits at the table rather than serves at the table. He is legally the, fa the father's new son and heir, and all debts are now cancelled. From then on, he is under the adoptive father's authority. There's a change. There's a shift. There's something new there. No longer does he have these duties that he needs to do or these ways that he needs to perform. He is under the father's authority. There's a change. And he would be regarded in the same light as the son. He is a free man. He inherits the, uh, the entire state. All adoptive sons, previous debts will be cancelled. And he is given a new name. 
And for Christians, for us today, don't live as a slave if God has made you a son. If God has done all that he has can to bring this freedom for us so that we can have full access into, into God's fullness, let's live under that. In Galatians 4, verse 4 to 7, it says, But the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us, his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer slaves, but you are God's own child. And since you are his child, God has now made you his heir. Um, I'm going to read a wee story here, so please bear with me. Um, and this is, this is a boy from a boy called Sam. Between the ages of two and six, I fitted in and out of different homes. I remember one specifically was filled with teenage boys, and they bullied my two younger brothers and me. It was not a positive experience. When I was five, along with my mum, her current partner and four brothers I lived in for a while were downstairs with a social worker living upstairs. One day I came home and from a normal day at school and my mum and two brothers were gone. They were away and I was moved into a foster home, split up from my brothers. I didn't receive any warning or I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. To this day, I still have not seen my two younger brothers. Up until this point in my life, I had suffered abuse, severe neglect, and so I naturally had a lot of problems. I was moved to a new foster family, where I was able to stay for nearly three years. There I lived with a teenager, a little girl who came to stay, and I remember really struggling at school and not having many friends. However, my family looked after me. They valued me and they treated me as an individual. Aged eight, I moved in with a family who planned to adopt me. However, I really struggled to fit in. The mother could not conceive, which is why they wanted to adopt. But I ironically, while I was with them, she fell pregnant. I woke up one morning and the family were all packed to go on holiday, apart from me. Again, no warning. A social worker whom I have never seen came and collected me and some of my belongings. I had to leave most behind. I felt lost, lonely and completely unloved. I then fell into the hand of a lovely Christian couple who were very welcoming and loving, who took me to church with them, and this was to have an absolute massive impact on my life. Because of my issues, I, had, I didn't have any friends, but when I go, went, went to go to church, it, they seemed to show compassion on me, and they even seemed to like me. After a while, I became a strong and determined follower of Jesus. I met a family at home who wanted to adopt me. Could this really work? Would they really love me? Would they want to change their minds? But to this day, they never did. Here I have found my forever home. They truly love me. For the first time in my life, I have felt secure. I have felt completely loved. And I have felt that I'm accepted for who I am. How, how amazing is that to feel that this is the same way that God can look at us, that he can bring us in from all our all our stuff that we have, all our guilt, all our shame, all our worry, and bring him bring us into his eternal home, safe, secure, and loved forever. I don't know if you remember the uh, in the Olympics, the um, she was a gymnast um, called Simone, and she was one of the star in the in the American. She won something ridiculous like five golds or something like that, um, and she was she was adopted. 
And there was a bit of controversy at the time because the commentator wouldn't name her as, or wouldn't name her parents as her parents and kept on referring to them as her grandparents, even though they had adopted her. They were the ones that brought her all the practices. They were the one that brought her up and loved her and made her, um, made her who she is to today. And he refused to call her as, as such. Um, and that was to place doubt in her mind as to who she really was. And I love her response. It's just so simple. And it said whenever um, she was asked a lot about it and she wouldn't give any comments and she wouldn't really um, rise to the occasion, which I loved. And then one day whenever she spoke about it, she said, they're my parents. It's as simple as that. Full stop. I love that there was no doubt in her mind who her parents were. There was no cynicism. There was no even foothold for an ounce of rejection. Um, she knew who she was. And for us, I just wonder, as Christians here today, how easy is it for us to know who we are in God, to know that we are children of God, to know that we don't need to do anything, but we just need to be his children and that he loves us because of that. Sometimes we need that affirmation from God just to say, yes, you are loved, you are mine for, for now and forevermore. And it's the same with Moses. You know, Moses was, Moses was chosen, he was rescued, he was given a commission, he had the doubts of who he was and if he was able to do it, and he was also affirmed by God. In Exodus 3, God said to him, I am the great I am, they will listen to you. Affirming who he was, who the father was, who this word was coming from, and also affirming his ability in him to be able to be used through him. There was a blog I read earlier that um, I was inspired by, and it's um, a movement that was happening in the Ukraine, and it's where their aim, um, it's called Ukraine Without Orphans, and it's through a movement, Ukraine Without Orphans, the church is being mobilized, not just to lobby governments to improve children's care homes, not just to send clothes or toys or volunteers, not just to raise sponsorship, to train choirs or to start educational programs, but to close orphanages down, to bring the children out and ensure that each one has a loving forever family. How amazing for us as a church and a group of Christians and individuals to catch the heart of that and to be able to say, you know, um, let's close the orphans down, let's reduce the amount of care homes, let's reduce the, the waiting list that the social workers are sitting with the, with the foster children sitting there ready. Let's be a part of the answer in order to reduce that um, to the foster home, to those in care, and not just have that short-term goal of delivering programs, of sprucing up the room, but to actually take the root of the cause and to shut them down and to allow children to be able to be raised in a family and that home and that sense of belonging with them. How amazing would that be for, for us as individuals just to get that spark and to come together to be able to do something with that. But on the same token, how amazing is it that God didn't only just come to, God just didn't only come to rescue us. He didn't just come to cancel our debts. He didn't just come to give us freedom, but he also came to make us his children. He also came to give us full access into the throne of God. In John 3 verse 1, it says, How great is the love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God, because that is what we are. 
And I've used this illustration before, so apologies, but I couldn't think of a more perfect um, example. And this is the picture called Under the Resolute Desk, and it's by um, J.F. Kennedy, and it only really was released um, after, he, after he died. These really um, intimate pictures come out, and you can see his son there. And this is the Oval Office in the White House, where the most important man in the world was, where the most important decisions in the, in the world were made, the war room, as it were, such. And yet here we have his son sitting at the very feet of his father making these decisions. And he didn't have security. He didn't need any security passes to get in. He didn't need to give his name. He didn't need to go through checkpoints or anything like that. He was simply allowed to enter because he was his child. He was simply allowed to sit at the, the feet of his father because of who he was. And you know, for us today, it's the same with God. God has given us full access as his children to come with him, to come and sit with him and to come and be with him. And even as I was preparing um, today, for some I understand this can be a quite a difficult topic, that idea of a father being good, um, because maybe it can bring up a lot of um, difficult situations. It can be quite a hurtful it can be a lot of hurtful um, memories that are attached to it. But I really believe God wants to bring restoration to, what it, to fatherhood and what it means to be a good father. That God wants to bring wholeness and what it means to be in a family and to be whole and to be loved and to be accepted. And that for us in here as Christians, that we are moved from slavery into that sonship. And because of that, we have full access of God. That God wants to affirm his love as his father with you, affirming that you are his child, that he wants to pursue you, that you're chosen, that you're rescued, and that there's a hope for now and for eternity.